Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be reading from there in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning, we're going to kind of be wrapping up uh, our, our study on mental and emotional health from a biblical angle. And we're going to be looking at living with love. You know, we need to live with love because you and I play a big part in each other's mental and emotional health. And that can be both for benefit of others and the detriment of others as well. So we need to make sure that as we are navigating through this, uh, you know, and as uh, Abby said when she was doing our opening, it's, it's been a couple weeks, hasn't it? It's been fun. It's been interesting. No? No? Okay. The tendency that we have during these times is to withdraw, is to recluse. And for someone who is somewhat naturally introverted by nature, that likes to kind of pull away, likes to kind of detach and kind of recluse myself, that's dangerous if we live in a constant state like that. Now, I'm not saying, because that, that's what recharges me. Me sitting mindlessly, nothing happening, in my recliner with silence surrounding me, that's how I recharge. It drives my wife crazy. Not only that I recharge like that, but she can't do that. And I know that I've said this before in here, but I'm a little bit of a public service announcement. Ladies, whenever you look at your spouse, the gentleman that you're dating, whatever, and you look and you ask this genuine, heartfelt question of, what are you thinking about? And he looks at you, as genuine as he possibly can, and he goes, nothing. That is a 100% true statement. He's not lying to you. He's not avoiding conversation. It's genetically and wiring impossible for you ladies to not be thinking of anything. Like multiple, it's not possible for y'all to be thinking of one thing at one time. There's like 50 trains of thought going there. For some reason, the majority of the male of the species has this wonderful mechanism that we can just go and not have a single thought. It's blissful. It's a wonderful state of being. And really, the only thought that, we've, that we have in that moment when you ask what we're thinking is... Was I thinking about anything? So just some marital advice and relational advice. It is possible for that to happen. But getting back to you know, something productive this morning, we have this tendency to want to just completely withdraw and detach from everything. Anybody else had that, want to do that? Just go, hey, I don't even care 
how mundane. I don't care how small of a situation or a decision or anything that I'm facing. I just don't want to. And that's where we're at. I want to talk to you this morning about your grace meter. Having a grace meter. Now all of us, we really like and we really think and we're heavily under the conviction that other people should extend grace and mercy and understanding to us when we're struggling. Don't we? We kind of feel like other people should really extend grace to us and, and try to understand and try to be merciful to us during our times of struggle. But we really have difficulty at times extending grace to others. And that's what I want to address this morning is the role that you and I play in each other's lives through moments of struggle, through moments of hardship and moments of trials. Because our grace meter often is really high for what we expect people to have for us, but can be extremely low for the people around us, especially if we don't agree with them, especially if we see things in a different way especially if there's ideological differences of opinion, then we have a very low grace meter in their lives. We've talked about in this series already of the importance of seeking to understand first instead of being understood. Value understanding what's happening in someone else's life, what's happening in their hearts, what's happening in their minds, instead of constantly feeling this obsessive need to be understood and to have my opinion known and my thoughts clarified and for me to under, have you understand why I'm right. How's your grace meter with the people around you? Is it high? Is it low? Is it in between? Does it fluctuate? Different situations are going to call for different things. Just because we have opinions doesn't mean that all of those opinions need to be voiced. <laughs> Amen. It's pretty good. You should keep talking like that. Okay. We have to be able to understand a situation and put ourselves, try as best as we possibly can, try to put ourselves into this other person's situation. Now, I'm not talking about sweeping things under the rug that need to be dealt with. I'm not talking about compromising foundational truths, especially biblical truths. But did, did any of your all's parents ever tell you about the, the little boy who cried wolf? It's kind of, kind, of the, kind of the same thing that we have whenever we become like what Paul talks about, that sounding brass, the clanging cymbals, is sometimes we're so opinionated and we feel so, it's such a necessity to share every opinion we have that our voice loses any kind of level of influence or any type of volume. And I can't, the two best things on social media, especially Facebook, is the snooze for 30 days and then the unfollow button. I got on there the other day onto Facebook and I was like, why is everything an advertisement on here? And then I realized like the majority of the people were snoozed. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. 
But we need to understand that, especially as believers, we need to grasp the gravity of the influence and the role that we play in other people's lives, especially in their mental and emotional health in trying times. Now, let's read this passage. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15. We covered this last week. We covered, I know that this is the same scripture, but here's what it says. Starting with verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Can we all say this next part together? Be patient with them all. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one seeing that. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, in these two verses, we covered verses 16 through 18 last week, and that was about us. That was about us individually. Commands for us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So we talked about us last week and the commands that Paul gives. This week, we're going to talk about others and how we treat others during this time. There are six commandments. There are six commands that Paul gives us here over these, first two, these, these two verses. The first, there's four commands in verse 14. We see admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now I'm going to give us a little bit of insight. This is going to be a little bit of a heavy teaching, so I do encourage you to take notes. These slides will be available later in the week on our website and on our social media things. So there's going to be a lot of practical application, a lot of teaching in this this morning because we're going to take a look at how we need to do all of these things. So first, admonish the idle. How do we go about admonishing the idle? And those are the ones who are who are just not doing anything. And I think, I know, that one of the things that we're battling, and I don't think that we've seen the height of it yet, is apathy at this point in the game. And I don't know who signed us up for this game. If you did, I'd like to have a talk with you afterwards. But just that apathetic nature of, I don't care. I don't care. But how do we admonish the idol? We need to, to, to admonish means to encourage, to correct, or to warn. And I would recommend us doing that in that order as well. Encourage, correct, and warn. And all of these things need to be done from a spirit of love. It needs to be done through the love that Christ has for you. And we've all been admonished by Jesus Christ. We've all been disciplined by him. If we're followers in here, we know what that feels like. And I, I don't like being corrected. I don't like being warned. I don't like being disciplined by God. But you know what? On the end of it, I always wind up better than what I went into it. And if our admonishment leads people to be more belittled after we're done than what we started, guess what? You're doing it wrong. Amen? 
you're doing it wrong. Encourage the people around you. If they're idle, don't just go on the defensive. If they're not doing anything, if they're apathetic, don't just go on the attack to begin with. Encourage them. Encourage them. And then correct them. Offer them advice. Warn them of long-term consequences. But all of these things we must do in love. Let me ask you this question. Is it easy to love other people? Is it easy to love other people? Most of the time, if we're being honest, the answer is not really. Encourage, correct, and warn in love. Next, use the Bible and not your own opinion. When we're encouraging, when we're warning, and we're correcting other people in love, use the Bible, not your own opinion. And I'm going to go a step further than this. Use the Bible in its proper context and not your opinion of the context. Because there are a lot of people out there that are using Scripture to rebuke others and they're causing more damage than what they're doing good because they're using the Word of God as a distorted weapon instead of a book of love. And again, not sweeping anything under the rug, not compromising truth, not turning a blind eye to sin in our lives, but Jesus Christ came because God so loved the world. Use the Bible. Use God's Word and use it rightly. The next thing. When you're doing this, be prayerful be humble, and be Christ-like. When you know that you need to talk to someone, when that admonishment, when that correction needs to take place, please pray about it beforehand. And I mean not just a 30-second prayer going into the conversation. I'm talking about bathe it in prayer that the Holy Spirit would guide you, would lead you, would give you words to say in the moment so that the person, the brother or sister that you're talking to, comes out of the conversation challenged and uplifted, even though the conversation may be uncomfortable. Make sure you pray about it. Be humble. I want to give you a new, none of y'all got everything figured out. And you all know me well enough. You know I don't have it figured out. Use, your, use a spirit of humility, of wanting the best for the other person, of not acting like we've got it all together and we've got it all figured out. And then be Christ-like. Value your connection with that person. Jesus, whenever Peter was being restored, you know, Peter denied Christ three times before his death. Then as before Jesus resurrected, after his, or before, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he has this moment with Peter where they're walking along together and Jesus makes this statement. He asks him the question, he's like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, and feed my sheep. 
And he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. You see, what Jesus was doing there, Peter had denied three times. Christ restored him three times. And nowhere in that process did Jesus look and go, told you so. Told you you would do it. See, wasn't I right? Because Jesus valued his connection with Peter more than he valued being proven right in the situation. And I think that we could all use that lesson in our lives. Be Christ-like. Value the connection. Value the relationship that the other person has with Jesus Christ. And be Christ-like in this time. Next one that we have. The next command is encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those around you that are weak. Those that are on the edge of giving up. Those who may be facing these mental and emotional challenges to where they just don't feel like they can go anymore. Encourage them. And how do we encourage them? Number one, you make it personal. Make it personal. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with quoting Bible scriptures. Nothing wrong with that. But if all, of you're do, all you're doing is rambling off some type of Bible memorization, that person is not going to feel like you're really invested in them. There's ways that we can talk to them about the Bible, but make it personal at the same time. Be invested in them. <laughs> Listen. Listen. Most of the time, what people need is someone who's just willing to listen. They don't always need you to talk. They don't always need you to have the answers. But make it personal. Next, is make sure that your encouragement is deeply concerned and loving. And it goes along with what I was just talking about. Don't just... It's not just some randomized, standardized reciting of something that you know. Connect with the person. Be concerned. Be concerned genuinely about the person and the people that you're, that you're talking with. Go ahead, give me the next one, please. And make sure that your encouragement serves to build them in Christ to build them in maturity. Make sure that your encouragement is always focused on Jesus Christ, that it pushes them, it challenges them to be more Christ-like, to get closer to Jesus Christ. So with this encouraging the faint-hearted, make sure it's personal. Make sure you're concerned. Make sure it's done from love. And make sure that it serves to build them in Christ. Next, please. And then it always points to hope in Jesus Christ. How many of you this week have been able to find a whole lot of hope in what you see going on in the world around us? I'll wait. We could have a Ferris Bueller's day off here. Bueller. Bueller. Yeah. Give them hope in Jesus Christ. 
Because as we've talked about before, that is the only source of hope that will never fail you. That is the only source of encouragement that will never fail you. That's the one source that will never leave you, that will never forsake you. That, in my, in, in my life, that is the only source of hope that has proven himself true time and time again, all the way to the point of he followed through with his promise that he would lay down his life for me. That is where our hope needs to lie. And that is when we are encouraging those around us That's where we need to be pointing them to, is hope in Christ. Not hope in a political office. Not hope in a political party. Not hope in legislation to be passed. Not hope in some company, in some job, in anything. Hope in Jesus Christ. Go over to the next one, please. Help the weak. Help the weak. And I just want to give you some scripture on this. Romans 15, 1 through 3. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Bear with the failings of those around you that are weaker in the moment than you. And that's not any type of statement of flex here this morning, like I'm stronger than they are. I've got no. Listen, there have been moments, you know, and I've been following Christ 30 some years, and there have been moments here recently that I can assure you I would have qualified as the weakest, one of the weakest among us. And I needed that. I needed the source of strength. I needed encouragement, and it came. If you see someone around you struggling, especially a brother and sister in Christ, help them. Help them, encourage them. And I love how it talks about that Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus Christ stands, not only stood in our place on the cross, he continues to stand in our place, interceding on our behalf for all of our shortcomings, all of our failures, all of our weaknesses. All of these things are made strong through him, and he is advocating for you. He's standing in your spot now. He didn't just come to die on the cross for you as a past event. He's still providing and supplying for you currently. Next, please. Be patient with them all. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture here so I can stay off of the soapbox. Right, this, is my tem- this is eliminating and removing the temptation of not inserting my opinion here about how we need to be patient with everyone, not just who we want to be, but everyone. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love is patient, love is kind. James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Please write that one down. 
commit that one to memory and understand that it is not our anger that leads or achieves any sort of righteousness. Well, you can say, well, Jesus was angry. Yes, Jesus was angry. And I've been angry many times in my life. My anger and Jesus' anger are completely different. It says, Jesus was angry and he sinned not. I've not figured that one out yet. Jesus got angry and turned over tables in righteousness because of what was happening, the heresy that was taking place during that time. He wasn't angry because somebody disagreed with his ideology. Our anger, my anger, has never led to the righteousness of God. And the last passage I want to share with you is Colossians 3, 12 through 13. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I made the statement last week that there's really not a time that I can remember to where the bar has been lower for us to be a positive Christian witness. I don't know of a time in my life that I can ever remember the simplicity of being what Christ has called us to be, being more effective than what it can be now. Being kind to people, being patient with people, loving people, helping to restore the weak. Be there for not only your brothers and sisters, but for everyone. Being patient with not only your brothers and sisters, not only your family, not only your church family, but everyone. That's where we're at with our influence right now. If we are going to be foundationally what Christ has called us to be, that's going to be a light and a beacon in a very dark world right now. And that's shown in these commands in, these next, in the next passage in verse 15 where it begins by saying that don't repay evil for evil. Okay, that's kind of, it's kind of a self-explanatory one. Maybe one of the most difficult ones, but one of the most self-explanatory. Just don't return evil for evil. And then the next one and the final thing that I want to close with this morning in verse 15. Always seek to do good. Always seek to do good. Living with love simply means to seek the highest good of others. And the highest good of and for others is simply put, God being glorified in their lives. God being glorified in their lives. And that's really what we need to examine ourselves with this morning, at least in my opinion in my relationship with other people, am I seeking to do good to other people? Which means, am I doing what I need to do? Are my actions, are my words, is the way that I'm conducting myself, are those things leading other people to have God more glorified in their lives? I want to ask the praise team, if they would, to, to come back up.
There's no doubt that as you, I, I want to just take a moment, kind of look to whomever you're sitting by or the person that's closest by you, to your left, to your right. Just go ahead and you, you can look at other people in church. It's fine, I promise. It's fine. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you tag your neighbor and tell them three times anything, okay? Just look at them. That's all you got to do. That person or those people that you looked at, probably facing some form of challenge or some weight of challenge over these past 16 months that they've never faced before. That person needs grace. That person or those people need encouragement. They need you to be strong and help them when they're weak and vice versa because those roles change. If they do something that, they, that you don't agree with, Again, we're not talking about compromising or sweeping anything under the rug. But if they do something that you don't agree with, they don't always need you repaying that to them. But what they do need is they need a brother or sister in Christ who is going to do good for them and help them to lead in seeing God's glory in their life as much as possible. 